This is the Dose of Support podcast. Here, the interdisciplinary team in healthcare matters, and we share stories and self-care every Wednesday. Let's break down barriers between professions. I'm Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner, and I'm your host. Are you ready for a dose of support? Dose of Support, the host and guests are not affiliated or representing an employer or organization. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider, and my guests are not here to provide healthcare advice either, but do seek out care from your own healthcare professional, and remember to protect privacy and follow HIPAA. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Happy, happy new year to my Dose of Support listeners. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope that you had a lovely and safe New Year's Eve. I know that I used my New Year's Eve to actually perform that fire ceremony that I told you about. Maybe you caught that if you were on Instagram and you saw me doing my thing. And it was just fun to get some things out and burn them and set some intentions on what I'm going to let go of and leave in 2020. And so that was really fun. And I, I love doing that. I do that every year. So hopefully you did something to celebrate and look forward to the new year. In other news, I'm also really excited and happy to share that I did receive my step one of the Moderna COVID vaccine. And I'm so, 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 so happy about this, you guys. And if anyone has any hesitancy and they're worried about it, please reach out to me. I'm more than happy to share my experience and my knowledge around all these various vaccines, including the ones that are still in clinical trials, um, I felt really comfortable. I want people to be armed with knowledge and instead of misinformed fears. I think a lot of people have that hesitancy based on fears because of things that they hear. And I really think that I don't want anyone to walk into 2021 with any more misinformation, which is one of the things I totally burned the other night. All right, so, and with that said, this week we're ringing in 2021 while discussing boundaries, acceptance, and believe it or not, Buddhism came up. So I hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned. Welcome back to Dose of Support. She's been through an eating disorder, alcoholism, a divorce, and then some radical healing. She uses her skills as a resilient, wounded healer now to help people through their complex problems. Welcome our licensed social worker, Elizabeth Tampe. Am I saying that right? Tampe? Um, yeah, it's uh, Tampe. Like Tampe. Like I-E. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you. I'm laughing because I was like, I haven't been through a divorce myself, just my parents. (laughs) Okay, that's a good clarification. I don't, I mean, so for the listeners, I I prep before the show, I read survey results, I I write up this introduction, but Elizabeth and I are meeting for the first time right now on audio. And so a lot of the people on the show, I've never met in real life. Um, And so... (laughs) So, Tampi, and you are not a divorcee. So, perfect. <laughs> perfect way to start. So, you are the first social worker that we've had on the show. And I've been very particular about who I have on the show. And and when it comes to social workers, they're 
everywhere, but I've been specifically looking for a healthcare, like clinical social worker. So can you tell me a little bit about your training and your background? Sure. Yes. I, I have a master of social work degree from Loyola University Chicago, and I graduated with that in 2009 and then really launched into a career of working with what some folks might say are some of the like you know, most marginalized people, community community work. Um, you know, Now what I'm doing in the healthcare setting is, is working with folks who are uh, either underinsured or uninsured uh, or, you know, have Medicaid, really, you know, making sure they have access to really, really good care. And that's not just, you know, physical health. Healthcare, but I have most of my trainings like you know I consider myself like a clinician, but I work in settings, interdisciplinary settings. Okay, so I need more clarification here. So you work at a federally qualified healthcare center. So you you serve a lot of people that are underinsured or not insured at all, which means they may have not seen a healthcare provider or received healthcare for years and years, right? That's right. So as a social worker, you, you were saying that you help with access to care. What does that look like? So yeah, it, it varies per person. Like uh, I am maybe the first time that someone's like really coming to understand that it's important to look after, you know, emotional or, or mental health. Um, and they may not be in a place where they're like, okay, I'm ready to get some therapy, sign me up. They may just be really coming to like, understand that as you'll hear in my story later like that there's it's just it takes some time to really like to to look kind of inward and it takes some kind of settling of of external uh some of the chaos that's going on externally which can be homelessness substance you know substance use or partner violence and so people are coming in and they're in really you know they're in pain in various capacities different, different areas of their lives and so it just it varies per person um we're really like initially just kind of saying like hey we're here. Um, we care about your health, not you know your physical health, and also like your you know your emotional well well being, um, and just like starting there and saying that's a thing to actually you know to to be to be aware. Of. Yeah, it's a part of your physical health too. It play it all is connected, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, but some social workers are also licensed counselors, like therapists, to provide actual psychotherapy is that right yes that's right yes i uh that's what i can do with you know, with my license which um looks a little different like in the in the setting that we're in in integrated care uh, there's there's some opportunities for me to meet with people and you know, do therapy and then i have like an itty bitty telehealth private private practice where i could do therapy where i can do therapy with folks i recommend checking one out if you if you're looking for so a you said you said lcsw so licensed clinical social worker is that right Yep. <laughs> okay, good. So most social workers have a master's degree, right? But I, I feel like I've heard of some working with a bachelor's degree. Can you explain the undergraduate process? If someone out there is a student and is really interested in social work, how would they go about getting into it? I came into social work like from a, I had a bachelor's in psychology. And so like I went to get my master's in social work and then there's also fast track for MSWs where like you can if you're in a BSW program you can like get your master's in a year you can work with a BSW but like why not get the MSW if you can if you can um you swing it if you work at a place like mine a federally qualified health center or something that you can you can see if you can get some loan loan forgiveness after okay so can someone enter into a master's of social work program and have a bachelor's in let's say like music or yes. business yes most definitely. okay 
okay. So I feel like college students, you know, they have to pick this major and then like by year four, they're like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Like they might have like a four year communications degree. And then they're like, I want to do this instead. Can I just move into a program like that? Um, I'm guessing you would have to have the prereqs. Yeah. Like I have an intern right now who's in her fifties and she's, she's had a career doing a host of interesting things. So she's, she's new to the field. Follow your heart's desire at any point. <laughs> um, does everybody do an internship? It's a pretty standard part of a, program. I got my master's. I did an internship my first year at community mental health clinic. And then I did one the second year in like inpatient psych- psychiatric hospital. Yeah. So it's exciting. You get to try your, your uh, you do have to kind of pick a specialty. Like, so if you're going to do schools or okay, they might have one for like healthcare now, even like integrated healthcare. I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Okay. I'm guessing there's a board exam. I'm guessing you take an exam to be licensed mm-hmm. or there's some kind of process there. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Yep. You, you're, it's a it's a combination of gathering hours, supervised hours during a period of time after you graduate with your MSW. Then you gather some, gather some hours and you study for an exam. There's usually like a provisional licensure period. So right after you get graduate with your MSW, you can become a LCSW-A. The A stands for associate. Okay. All right. So now anyone listening could be like, okay, I've got this bachelor's degree in communication. <laughs> and yeah. Now yeah. I know what I, what I should do with it maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just using that. I'm using that as like a, I, I've just met so many people that have this bachelor's in communication or psychology or something that they're like, what do I do with this? Do do? And yeah. And, and so then you move on to like something where you can actually have a job. Now, it is my, I guess, assumption. I don't actually know, but it's my assumption that social workers don't get paid enough. And I actually mean like, like everybody thinks they don't get paid enough. <laughs> Most people think, you know, like, ah, oh, I'm worth so much more than this. But like, in my opinion, social work is so undervalued. So you don't have to tell me what you make, of course, but I was thinking like, what are your opinions on that? Yeah. It's like teachers. We don't get paid enough. I am sighing because it's, it's tragic. Um, how do we, you know, and that's why there's associations like um, NASW, National Association of Social Workers to like, to help us like be like, Hey, we're legit. We're doing legit. work. <laughs> It's actual work. Like it's it's so much work. I think that that's like probably a sore subject for anyone listening. But I was just thinking like, if people knew what you really did, they would value it a little bit more. So tell me what a day in the life of working as a social worker is like. Yeah, sure. So in this, in this setting, I'm in, I'm like, there's kind of like an ideal, like best world setting. We're like working right alongside them where we might be like, Mm -hmm. Going into the rooms alongside the of the, the nurse uh, nurse practitioners or doctors and like you know really um, really being like fully collaborative and a typical day might look like huddling in the morning with the, with the nurse practitioner and kind of running through the, the patients that are coming in that day and seeing you know if anyone like like might get be on my radar to like to pop in whether it's someone I've seen before or their their complaint is like anxiety depression smoking you know alcohol use or maybe it's something like they're you know 
like pain and you know it's the third time they're coming in for pain and it's pain all over you know so those are like things that are like okay like there's a role for the social worker here to kind of they get access to us really through through the nurse practitioner and so I'm going into rooms you know every day I had a couple today that where the doctor kind of pinged me over that at a Skype or the IM the instant messenger and said hey you know can you come to room 131 complaints of anxiety uh, starting them sertraline or whatever and I go in and I really kind of help answer any questions if it's a new patient orient them to the clinic orient them to the service um, let them know what's available Mm -hmm. and some of the folks are so are you know coming from complex backgrounds they may you know may need start to build some some trust in their healthcare practitioners and seeing us because sometimes you're like building building trust building relationships with people providing sometimes counseling sometimes education um, around resources and around treatments like for example if I was in the room with you and I prescribed sertraline maybe you would send them to like a local like maybe there's a local group that you know of or you can provide CBT counseling um so so that's what you're saying is like you're working right there with the provider and you're pro- you're also providing like a way to find services and counseling and education and i've i've actually had such good success with social workers helping with financial issues with patients like a lot of patients you know i can prescribe a medicine but they can't afford it and my social worker can step in and say well we have this voucher or you can go to this pharmacy or you know and Mm -hmm. it's so it's like this like untapped resource i wish i had a social worker in every room with me that sounds like a fabulous practice hey yes you're on the you see the value. <laughs> yes we have, have that uh, and then case management piece yeah i mean you're really we we all try to empower patients i think patients often don't feel like they have the tools they don't have the knowledge they don't know what to do or what's going on and they're scared and it sounds like you are one of those people that can pop in, empower them with the right tools and give them resources. And I mean, I would think that that would be a really rewarding part of your job, but I'm curious, what is like the most challenging or worst part of your job or the part of your job that you hate? Oh yeah. Okay. It's like, oh, it's like folks that come in and they're, I mean, they're really just in pre-contemplation. So that means that someone's coming in, they're in pain and they're need some Ativan or some Xanax and why won't you give that to me are really are in pain and are are not at that moment open to hearing about other options Um, Mm, yeah like how much of their pain is physical and how much of it is psychological and and they're they go together I mean they can have both (laughs) yeah yeah so like you know hearing about like oh we can help with some you know we can help you just learn how to you know breathe do some it's like no Xanax is what works give me Xanax and it's just really kind of having a an agenda you know to coming in that like sometimes we have to let people down just for their own good you know saying like setting that boundary and saying no I'm not going to give you more narcotics I want you to see a specialist first or I yeah I totally I resonate that resonates with me so much um okay so let's sit with that for a second and we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to hear from Liz about a story and some self-care so stay tuned
And we're back from that little break. I have Liz Tampi with me, and she is our licensed clinical social worker. Um, and she's joining us today to talk about her self-care and a story. So let's start with your story, Liz. Take it away. Yeah, so I, I wanted to talk about a, a woman who came in. I first met her like two-plus years ago. She came in, and she was like going to the emergency room a bunch and just really anxious about some some physical symptoms she was having and like really tearful a lot and come in and just be like frantic in terms of like, you know, what's going on? There's something wrong. I don't know. I'm really hard. I'm having trouble trusting the doctors or I met with her and then um, I met with her a few times and, she, and then <clears throat> I um, continued to kind of stay in touch. I think I emailed her once or sent her a letter and just said, because okay, she kind of fell off radar for a while and then recently in the past couple months she's come back and she and she really said I want to like work on me now you know and she's had more uh, more of a stable housing situation and she's she got a dog and she and she's I think starting to see that like there are things that she can you know be doing in terms of her communication and we're starting to do a little like CBT and she's like taking notes during the visits and she's engaged and this is over telehealth actually so um, wow yeah we went from someone who was just like there's it's it's not me it's the, you know it's it's either something that's going on my my body or it's you know it's my the people in my life and they're they're driving me nuts and she, to like oh okay like let me I'm willing to take a look and be the best like person that I can I want to be the best version of myself that I can be so like open to some ideas now and it took two it took over two years wow so she was this person that kind of blamed everyone else and blamed the system or yeah. which I mean the system sucks. <laughs> I just want to like acknowledge that for anyone that's listening that might be there like the system totally sucks and is not helpful for people. But it sounds like she it sounds like she took ownership yeah. over her own health and her own well-being and engaged in the process and used the system to help her. I I mean, I I feel like there's people like you that want to help people that are in this broken system and people are so jaded from all the shit they've been through that they, they, they just can't engage. They, you know, they're, they're so done. Mm. So it kind of sounds like she was there. But really finding her way back to, you know, to, to me, because I had been, you know, there consistently and had not pushed her past her own, what her own pace was. Yeah, that's really hard too. I mean, as professionals, we're, we are rushed. We're told to see all these patients. We're told to do all the things and offer whatever and get on to the next thing. It like, And it really dehumanizes the whole process for people that are really showing up for care. And it sounds like you were a steady, a steady yeah. support and resource for her. And, you know, in a federally qualified healthcare center, it's like notoriously underpaid staff, like the government, it's government funded, right? So like, and so patients feel that patients know, I know my own family members have said like, you know, the provider I saw at my clinic left and that was at a regular clinic. So I I know people get frustrated with that and it sounds like you stick around and (laughs) she noticed that. Yes. So for perspective, I think the listeners might know that when they go to a regular clinic that providers have like 15 minute slots unless you're there for a procedure or a big visit like an annual physical. Then it's usually like a 45 minute slot. And 
even as a new graduate, I remember I would have been expected to see 18 to 22 patients per day within an eight-hour day. Uh, And so when you think about that, that's, you know, X amount per hour. And then there's lots of documentation that goes with that, ordering tests. Perhaps you have to send them for an x-ray and then they come back. And so it's, it's a lot of rush, 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 rush. I'm in an internal medicine situation now where we see 10 to 12 per day. The visits are longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that depends. It depends on your practice and your clinic when you're talking about outpatient care. And of course, social work within the inpatient world is completely different from this as well. So that just gives some perspective on on why it can be so hard to give good care in that small amount of time and reach a person like this woman that you were talking to and, and helping. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's also other clinics, like um, there's different kind of frustrations that come with that. Of course, more opportunities as well. But um, yeah, so I'm working on my uh, licenses, I'm working on my LCAS, which is licensed clinical addiction specialist. Wow. That's such a needed role. I'm just thinking about what you said about, seeing seeing those challenges as opportunities mm-hmm. and that kind of tells me what kind of person you are like <laughs> I'm I, I am such a pessimist uh. and I was just, like and I I I have a happy life I'm I'm a happy person but like I am that glass half empty person and that's just my personality but what you said just now like a challenge presents itself and it's really an opportunity. Hmm. I feel like I feel like people can hold on to that. So just stick with me here that in in this hard environment with patients that are going through these hard things with your skill set as a social worker you are you're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel for all of these problems. Like it sounds like you just have this outlook and your training has given you at just this way to get through hard times. And I I guess what I'm wondering is, is that part of your self-care or let's, let's get into your self-care. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually like, yeah, go ahead. Well, the, it's interesting. You said about like, I, I get into the mind frame of like, you know, am I helping? I can go down that, like that rabbit hole of like, cause I'm not necessarily seeing people uh, again. Sometimes it's one, one time and not again. I mean, I can reach out to them of course, but like today, for example, and this does have to do with self-care uh, or taking care of myself. There's a, I, I met with a woman who I've seen a few times over the past couple of years, and she has in the past been kind of tearful during the visits and perhaps a little not as talkative, like just a little more reserved. And this time she's like, she was, you know, her affect was a little brighter and she's still, still coming in with some of the same issues, but she remembered something I'd said to her. I don't know, a year ago or maybe close to two about like that she could set limits with her. She was complaining about her sister who was, who just drops her niece off at, you know, this patient's house and expects her to watch her. And she, and I was like, she hadn't even considered that she could, that she could say no and set the limits. So I remember introducing that idea to her, you know, gently, of course, like a couple of years ago. And, and she, and so today she, she like brought it back and she was like, yeah, I, she remembered that and she had been setting some limits and, 
you know, I think her life it had been come a little more manageable in that area. It came, there's other things that are going on there. But just, yeah, that was like, okay, that's a win, you know. She. Um, that's amazing. Like, years later. Yeah. <laughs> years later, she remembered this one thing that you said, and yeah. it's changed her life. I'm over here, and I don't remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday. <laughs> like, <laughs> hashtag motherhood like um that's that's powerful yeah I don't know I you know I think it's it's a it's meeting a patient where they're at and then offering some glimpse of like what it could be like because obviously someone's coming to the clinic they're like they care enough about their health to be there like I start with that that's that's a that's a that can be a big deal for someone just to get there to have made the appointment absolutely yeah that's true so I mean one of the and then of course for me like in terms of self-care like taking care of myself involves sometimes for me you know it involves saying no and really treating myself as I I'm not like I'm not going to give advice to someone and then not take it so if I'm like telling someone to set set limits and to make sure they take you know lunch break and and like I need to be doing those things myself and it, it can be like just setting setting those kind of boundaries or like checking in like before I go to see a patient do I need to go to the bathroom you know like really simple kind of like but like important thing yeah Uh, it sounds like just boundary setting yeah like having a clear boundary which a lot of healthcare workers struggle with that they struggle to not pick up that extra shift they struggle to like actually clock out and go home and like just stop just stop charting just stop doing the thing yeah um and like for me, I'm doing a lot of tele- telehealth. So like you work from home and I think a lot of healthcare professionals might be in this bucket um, during the pandemic where they're working from home a lot. And then like they're always working because they're at home. And so there isn't that boundary is a lot more blurred. So um, how do you how do you stick to the boundary? I think that's where a lot of people struggle. Well, I, I don't. And so then I just, then it's, then it's the, well, the training that I've learned from my, from some of the people that I've followed really like mentors that some that I haven't met, some of them I haven't met, but people like uh, Tara Brock and Rick Hansen, uh, Pema Chodron, like I'm going to fall off and that's going to be human. And like, then I'm going to not hurt myself additionally by, by shaming myself or, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, the Buddha, they talk about the second arrow in Buddhism. Like I'm already having, I'm already in pain because I, because, you know, whatever I, I said yes to something I didn't want to, but I'm not going to cause additional pain by beating myself up for that. And that's really where, where the change has come. It's that acceptance piece that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stay there. (laughs) I'm just not, I'm gonna, you know, kind of slide. Acceptance is so hard. Like that is, I feel like if we all had mastered acceptance, we would all be happy with our bodies and our self-care and our work-life balance. And, you know, I I think if we'd all mastered that, there wouldn't be a dose of support. It sounds like Buddhism is something that you gravitate towards to help, help guide you to acceptance. Absolutely. And a lot of people have brought up, you know, going to church or, you know, doing doing that thing that spiritually fulfills them. And so is Buddhism that for you? It's part of it. Yeah, I love I love okay. picking up my little reader. Pema Chodron is a she talks a lot about like being in the, the, the in, in between, you know, living with uncertainty and ambiguity. And that's that's where the that's where the juicy stuff is, you know, not when we're like <laughs> super comfortable or like it's like dislikes and staying with that instead of running to, to drugs or whatever. I mean, that we all sure. you you know, it's uncomfortable so, to be in kind of certain, that space of uncertainty, but like can hand we can walk through it and, and, and live a happy and fulfilling life, even 
even not knowing <laughs> the outcome of, of, of what's going to happen, you know, when I walk out the door. <laughs> right. I love that. I love that. Like, so accepting the unknown and living in the space of, of the unknown in, and in the present and practicing that. That's a great a message for today. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like yeah. I good days and bad days, like you mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's where we should leave it for today. I think that's a great message to end on. If people are like, I just love Liz. I got to have more Liz in my life. How can they find you? So check me out on uh, Instagram. It's my full name. Um, it's all lowercase, so I, I don't know. It's Elizabeth Tampy, LCSW. Excellent. And I'll put that in the in the show notes or uh, in the posts I do for marketing for this episode. And you guys can find Liz. And y'all know what to do. If you want to find Dose of Support, we're on Instagram, Facebook. We got a website. You can email me. I have, uh, you know, if you're made of money, you can get on Patreon and go ahead and just support the show monetarily. <laughs> and um, if you are loving the show, like sincerely, I need you to go write a review, give me a rating on Apple or wherever you listen. So Liz, I really appreciate you making this time for for the show today. It was kind of a last minute recording for the folks that are listening. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, listeners, I'll be back in your ears next week. Every role in healthcare is important and these experiences matter. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections, you guys. Give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, and edited by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show, write a review, and leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again.